Welcome to the Path of Passion podcast, the podcast where we meet people whose lives bring them joy, who are pursuing paths they love. I am your host, Jordan, and this is my gorgeous co-host. And returning your gorgeous co-host, Tyler. And today we are interviewing Fro, Robert, but also Fro. Either way worse. Um, <laughs> So Fro runs an escape room in Boston, and having gone there myself a few times, it's it's a lot of fun. It's pretty in, ingenuitive in how you have to solve the problems, which actually our starting question for you, um, did going to an engineering school, how did going to an engineering school lead you to being like a puzzle room creator? Um, it's definitely a winding path but fundamentally engineering and like puzzle creation, not that, uh, you know, far afield, um, especially in the realm of MIT where there is such a strong puzzling community with things like the MIT mystery hunt. Um, it's surprisingly second nature. Um, but yeah, my path from engineering was that I was always inter interested in interactives and, you know, live action games and theater, uh, especially the technical side of theater. Um, that was something I was very passionate about um, doing in my spare time. And then kind of one thing led to another. And uh, eventually I was emailing escape rooms in uh, the Boston area looking for work. And I came across this one and um, it turns out, uh, I knew my co-owner, uh, Victor, from taking Mechie classes in college and also theater classes. He had had the same idea. And yeah, I mean, the rest is history. So then did Victor like make the make box room first and then you joined or was it you guys? Um, okay. Yeah, essentially, Victor uh, had started box room in 2016. Oh God, what is time? Early, uh, I want to say April 2016. That's when the Mystery of the Magician study opened. Um, I joined late that late that year, December 2016, and ended up uh, moving into you know a leadership position there. Um, and we you know went on to build our second room, which opened in. 2018 that's the conundrum museum um then we've kept doing things ever since very cool so um so i assume victor had a lot of say in the first escape the room um was the second one like a equal collaboration between you guys or what is i guess the process and like who's designing what in the uh, rooms for sure yeah that's a great question it's definitely a team effort right um boxer is a collaborative it's a team um victor you know at the time was leading the design team so you know the theme was a museum uh an art gallery where things uh are going to go wrong um and so then it's a matter of curating puzzle ideas from the rest of our you know uh friends volunteers staff things like that um and then, you know, it's a bit more into our, you know, specialities in terms of who's doing what. I can design some of the mechanisms um, and, you know, the, some of the more mechanical side of things. 
Um, Victor is a, you know, uh, computer scientist, uh, graphic design person. So he would deal with the branding and programming the room to run on our software. Um, and as we kept going, we kept adding more and more people, um, you know, a fantastic carpenter um, who builds all of the things, uh, also an MIT graduate. Um, and, uh, you know, more people to help with the electronics side of things, the programming, uh, and just yeah, that's how we kept kept building things out. Something I just realized that we should have probably touched on just a bit sooner. Can you explain just really quickly what an escape room is for anyone who hasn't yes. been to it before? Right, that's a very good question. Obviously, you know what an escape room is. In fact, you've been to some of ours, you mentioned. Um, but the way I like to define an escape room is that you and a group of friends, colleagues, or family are going to go into a room. Um, and in that room, you are going to be solving puzzles, collecting clues, and eventually trying to complete a story. Um, and that, uh, you know, ends with you getting out of the room, usually. Uh, so, but you know, the this can vary has a pretty wide umbrella, right? We have uh, one room called the Conundrum Museum. It's an art gallery. As I mentioned, something goes wrong when you're there and you have to uh, fix everything. Uh, some art gets stolen. You have to find it. I see I see a ferocious nodding. It seems like I'm guessing you've played that one. Yeah, I did that one. It was a lot of fun. The final puzzle we struggled with, but it was really rewarding once we got it. I loved it. Yep. So that's, you know, that's kind of that element there of we, you know, want the room to have a story. We want all of the puzzles to be connected to the theme and tie into the story and solving them gives you a feeling of progression within that uh, environment that we're creating. Um, we want it to be immersive and magical feeling with effects and stuff that makes it feel more real and you know ultimately it's just a great fun way to spend an hour and get to bond with some people um that you might not other otherwise get to experience yeah and i i mean like i i've been exposed to these just because a lot have popped up in the area since college so i have gone and like i've there have been events that happened at schools where i was like taken to them and it was awesome. And now that I know they exist, uh, I, I, I I go to them frequently, not as much during COVID, but like try and get back into it. So how did you first find out about this? Like, this isn't a path that I grew up thinking like, this is something possible. How did you find out about it? Yeah, definitely, you know, this was not something that I thought about uh, I didn't grow up with and didn't think like, oh, yeah, this is the thing during my lifetime. Um, it is wild uh, in many ways, reflecting back to think, oh, yeah, if you had asked me 10 years ago, uh, told me about the concept of escape room, I would have said that's cool, but I've never heard of it. So um, my experience immediately out of college, um, I had been I, I had a summer job working at a uh, museum exhibit design firm. Um, so it, you know, they created both the like standard, here's a display with all of the information about a given topic for the museum. Um, but 
also here's some interactives games that people are playing uh things like that so it it was a very interesting experience and then but their focus was always kind of on education first uh you know inform information first and then the fun aspect secondary so i kind of wanted to follow up on that with well what if the first goal was the entertainment right uh, additionally, I had also had some association with uh, the company Five Wits. Uh, I did a uh, uh, basically a one semester um, internship with them, and it uh, uh, you know was pretty formative. And oh, they're doing like the escape room concept, but their own version of it, um, and they were doing it basically before anyone else in in the U.S. So. Um, yeah, and at that point, I, you know, mid twenty sixteen, I was like, "Hey, this seems like a thing." I, you know, I'm gonna see if anyone's hiring, especially for somebody with like an engineering skill set who's interested in in doing more of this. And yeah, one of them got back to me, and uh, yeah, just happened to work out. So I'm not sure what your family, friends, community is like, but how did they respond to you saying like, I'm gonna go do this thing that hasn't happened in the US before? Yeah, that's that's a great question. <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, I can speak definitely to, my friends have been nothing but fantastically supportive. Um, and, you know, while a lot of them were in many ways got to experience it on the ground floor with me, right? It's like, hey, I need to learn what an escape room is. Who wants to come and do this with me? And having, you know, a bunch of, a number of friends who were into that sort of puzzle solving aspect um, and like a, you know, fantastic partner who loves solving puzzles. It was like, great, we can go explore this together. And it's been incredibly supportive having that. Um, family, you know, I believe the very first time I, I mentioned this to my dad, he was like, what? That's not, that's not a thing. Um, and then I remember I went home for Thanksgiving beforehand and I had found uh, a book which was uh, about how to build an escape room and it, not just how to build the actual room, but how to build an escape room business as part of it. So it focused mostly on design, but it was also like, these are the thing, other things to think about with that. And I had, I had read it. Uh, I finished it over Thanksgiving and he saw I was reading. And he's like, Oh, I guess you want to take this seriously. Can I borrow that book after you? And afterwards? Yeah. He, he was pretty convinced. Um, and so my family's been incredibly supportive ever since. That's awesome. That's that's great. So then, have has your family been to any of your escape rooms then, or <laughs> they have in fact played all of the escape rooms uh, we currently have? Um, yeah, uh, they they did our online one, uh, our online puzzle hunt that we produced during COVID times when we were shut down. Um, they haven't been up for any of our large live events yet. But, uh, you know, at this point, we'll, we'll see when they start making a comeback. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to get them up for that sometime. I was going to ask with the, like, the pandemic. So you mentioned you moved to doing an online puzzle with, like, you know, possibly the pandemic extending. Are you guys thinking about doing, like, a second online puzzle? Or 
Um, what's kind of the plans for the future right now? Yeah, definitely for the time being, we're, you know, continuing to, to run our rooms as safe as we can, both for our staff and for guests. You know, we think escape rooms, especially in small groups that are vaccinated, that have, you know, a, a bubble and a community they trust, that's great. Also, escape rooms tend to be, uh, you know, classified as one of the riskier things by the state here in Massachusetts. So if things start having to shut down, I'm sure we will be the first uh, for whatever reason. So, you know, when that, if that happens again, um, when that maybe happens again, we will see. We want to look at other online things. We want to look at other um, at home versions of play, you know, things like the uh, escape room in a box model, um, but, you know, with, oh, yeah. with our sort of twist on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, I like, I've seen some of the, it's like almost like a board game you open and there's an online element and you're like, that seems really cool. That's definitely like I gone, I've gone to escape rooms, but I've yet to take the plunge into like that board game, take at home, escape the box. There's definitely some, you know, really cool space in the, the board game is a good word for it. The like escape room board game version. Um, I, you know, I've played the two leading ones uh, commercially for that, which are unlocked and I think it's exit. The game was the other one. Um, and it's, you know, interesting. Uh, it's, it's a good system that they have there. And that's really, I think, pulling from the board game side of things, you know, we, at this point now have uh, some experience in designing and making, um, you know, like small scale interactables and, and props that, you know, we have to immediately hand into people's uh, hands, not just necessarily in the environment of the escape room, but in wherever customers are playing it. So, you know, the idea of could we repurpose that into something physical that people would take into their own homes? Um, you know, could we transfer those skills there? Um, but also, what kind of stories do we want to tell? Something in that realm, another online thing. Um, you know, there's many different options at at this point uh, that that we want to look into. Yeah, I've actually in the kind of startup world, I've heard of some businesses who are doing like ongoing uh, mysteries, not necessarily puzzles, but like mystery problems where like new information gets trickled out every week, every two weeks, and you have to solve the puzzle over time. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of opportunities in the space. Absolutely, um, yeah. But one thing I want to touch on relating to something earlier. So obviously, COVID surprised everyone and sucked pretty much across the board. Uh, but more broadly on that subject of unexpected setbacks, what has been your like? the way you explained your start leaving college it didn't seem like you were going straight to being business owner so what have been some unexpected uh parts of running your own business oh there's been a lot of them um <laughs> and you know i will say especially for escape rooms being such a new type of business um one of the very first things I had to interact with when I uh, joined Boxeru was the inspectional services department in the city of Boston. These are the building inspectors who, you know, um, 
have to sign off on businesses and make sure, yes, this place is safe. It's meeting all the fire code and everything else for life safety. Um, and so is that worse than like going to the DMV? How, how, <laughs> how, how painful is that experience? Um, I mean, I can tell you that going, the, you know, I don't think there's a risk of going to the DMV and having my business shut down, right? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's very fair. So much higher stakes, yeah. So I guess it's yeah. more akin to like having like a food inspector come by. Yeah, you could think of it as vi- right, very much if you know you know people in the restaurant industry, um, bartending, that sort of thing. Um, you know, this is the equivalent of that, um, and it is. Uh, it's not. It's not fun. I will tell you. You know, we got. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, we had a very interesting start because the. Uh, you know, every state is going to be different. In fact, every jurisdiction is different because it turns out in the U.S. they're just like, you know, states may be able to set codes, but at least in Massachusetts, it's every city is its own separate jurisdiction. Yeah. Oh wow. Like, I, I do remember. No, because I because I know from my dad. So my dad's like was an electrician slash is an electrician in Chicago. Yep. And I know that the Boston electrical code is different than the surrounding city's electrical code. Like in Boston, everything has to be run in conduit and properly grounded. Whereas like when you get out to yes. Western Mass, it's a lot. Western Mass is a white wire and, you know, you drive a nail through the wall and your house burns, burns down. So, And on top of that, everything in the commercial sector is, uh, you know, a, a tier above what you might get in residential. Right, yeah. So yeah, everything has to be conduit for sure. I know that. <laughs> so um, uh, really quick, along the along the lines of electricity, um, one of the escape rooms that I've gone to had a puzzle where there was like a magnetic ball, and you had to like link arms, and like a current would flow through you to complete a circuit uh to open up this one door so how how lethal is that for you to do like could you get away with that <laughs> I, I, that is a fantastic question and you know there's uh who um i mean the simple answer is yes if you do it smart right this is with most things right you know the uh, obvious answer is if you want to be 100% safe, you should work with, you know, your local inspector, the local uh, authority to figure out, hey, is, will this work or what special requirements do you have to sign off on this? If you're going to take the more practical route, you know, if you want to do something like that, um, you know, don't be an idiot. Um, make sure it's, a you know, insanely low current or don't do current. Do... Um, you know, capacitive detection, right, on multiple different points. Um, there's so many ways to do it. Uh, and, you know, this is me having the engineering background. Um, uh, you know, many ways to do it uh, uh, that don't put people at risk, right? It's, it's um, almost like a, like a magic trick, right? You can tell people there's current flowing, but in reality, it could be some like a safer technology like capacitive touch. It's just the, the illusion that gets you. Like, you know, there's, I mean, even to this day, there's tons of off-the-shelf devices uh, that can help with things like this. Um, you know, I can think like uh, 
makey makey uh you know there's there's tons of hobbyist stuff that can be used for this and you can find and repurpose that for something such as this although that has its own level of problems which oh boy uh, i could talk about um <laughs> but uh you know to start with it's like you know there are ways to do this that are safe and you know do those don't reinvent the wheel and you can tell customers you know it's electricity and they'll usually shake their head and go ah yes i understand um and <laughs> As long as it didn't hurt them, um, and you know you have a very uh, convincing waiver, it's fine. So I guess from like um, along the lines of like you mentioned like RC and hobbyist stuff. Like after all, Boxer is a business, so like I assume there's mm -hmm. some kind of like trade off between like oh the hobbyist stuff is cheaper, you know, more readily available, and, but has its own issues versus like high-end commercial grade stuff is going to be really expensive. So I guess, is there, you know, is there some optimization that goes in? Do you guys prefer <laughs> using open source hobbyist stuff or? Uh, I mean, you know, setting aside open source because that is, you know, a, a different bag of worms. Uh, simply put, yep, yep. hobbyist stuff is good if you are prototyping or making one-off type things, things that will have a limited shelf life. But as we discovered, because we did start out using, you know, Arduinos and Raspies um, to, to very hobbyist level uh, items. And, you know, those pins, uh, you know, that are controlling things maybe only work hundreds of times tops. And, you know, we're having we need them to work thousands, ten thousands or more. So very, you know, quickly it was like, well, I have to replace this thing and fix it every week. This is dumb. Can we buy something that won't, you know, break? And the answer is yes. And that's when we, uh, we were introduced to um, PLCs and other industrial automation devices. Um, and it turns out that's, that's the way to do it. So do you think that your guys' backgrounds as engineers has really helped you in creating um, escape rooms, puzzle rooms? Because like, I, I don't know if other, like there's puzzle rooms across the United States and I, I'm willing to bet not every one of those people are engineers. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm wondering what your perspective on that is. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's a certain degree of like, if you want to make an escape room of, of any kind, right, it's you should look at what your background and your strengths are and play up on that. So we were engineers, we had theater experience, we leaned very hard into special effects and technology, you know, technology-based solves for puzzles, right? Uh, it's not just, oh, I put the, you know, word in the lock. It's, oh, I, you know, turned a dial and it magically made something pop open somewhere else. That was the thing we could figure out. Um, if you've got people who, you know, if you're, if somebody else is doing this and you have a team of people with like, TV script writing experience, I better believe you can come out with a fantastic story that you uh, can can be accomplished and understood by players in an hour, and you want to build on that for your room, right? So, so then in terms uh, yes, of, I think our engineering background helped helped us do our rooms the way we wanted to. Yeah, that's really cool. So then, and obviously you guys have grown since. So then, like, have you? in terms of expanding have you been focusing on 
adding more engineers and you know leaning into that special effects or have you guys um you know got like a tv script writer or like tried to uh, make the team more well-rounded um i think we sort of started by trying to shore up you know whole like build upon the the things we could do and there's a certain degree of just who was interested in helping out and what were their specialties right uh you know we had somebody uh you know apply to work here and uh you know uh uh name is Bree, fantastic uh, carpenter, had experience making signs commercially, um, and so could build just about anything we wanted um, from any sort of, you know, base sketch or something would be able to, to draft it up and then build it, um, you know, and that's like, great, I don't have to worry as much about building those things. I can work on how are we going to get this electronic thing to work, this moving bit? Um, Victor could focus on, well, how do we make the software for this room uh, intuitive or even like self-correcting and, uh, you know, uh, dynamic difficulty adjusting, things like that. Um, and, you know, we got to then specialize more into those things. Um, we hired someone to uh, be an operator to help run the rooms who is also a sound engineer for uh, theatrical productions. And so has been helping us do, do like much more professional level recordings for all of our sound effects, narrations, uh, yep. pre-recorded hints. So it's, you know, we haven't gone out necessarily looking for people, um, but everyone who comes to join us has some special talent, some hidden skill. Um, and we try to be an environment where we can let that shine and that flourish. So along these lines of hiring and just bringing on new team members, I, obviously you, you do everything you can with the team you have at the time. Um, but, at, and as you are getting on new team members, they each bring their own stills, but that also means there is less, less hats that everyone else has to wear. So, what is that experience like for you removing some of your hats and giving them to other people? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, genuinely, that has been something I've been struggling with, especially, you know, a, a certain degree over the pandemic. We have had a lot of turnover, um, as, you know, most everyone has. You know, we tried to keep as many people uh as many spots open for people as we could, not everyone could come back for one reason or another. And, you know, that sucks. Um, it, we were a very tight-knit, uh, we still are a very tight-knit group, uh, tight-knit team here, and it, it hurts losing, you know, people to circumstances such as that. But, you know, that said, it's, I don't have a background in business. I don't have necessarily the experience leading something like this. So I like to do things. And I like to learn by doing. So having to take a step back and say, hey, you actually have a ton of operational experience because you've managed, like you've run restaurants before, you know, um, I think I think I would like to tap into that and going to slowly ask you to take on some, some of the things I've been doing, like the weekly schedule and, you know, time tracking and stuff like that and working with people on that. And, you know, there's a part of it is like, oh, is it going to be the way I was doing it? They're going to do it their way. 
how do I feel about that? And I think I'm starting to realize at this point, it's like, well, if I want the company to grow and, and get better, I get, I have to, I have to let go a little bit. I can't do everything at, at the stage we're at much less if we want to grow. So yeah, it's been a learning experience to, to let go and to trust other people to do things. Yeah. I feel like there's very much, especially if you are used to building stuff on your own, there's so much learning and growing that you do on your own that doesn't translate to once you have a larger group of people and letting that, letting that um, almost intuition that, that second nature go in order to grow the beast that is a creature more than just yourself can be hard. It it can almost feel non-intuitive sometimes because it just feels so alien from your own experiences. But at the same time, you know, like, this is what has to happen. For sure. You know, in in some ways, um, a thing I picked up a while ago before the pandemic happened and Boxer was on a very good upswing having opened our third room, um, it was like, okay, we need to sort of systematize everything. And ideally, if I'm take a week off for vacation, God forbid I were to get hit by a lottery ticket, that sort of thing, um, I would uh, just be able to, um, you know, things could still go on without me, um, as the case may be. So, you know, it's how do I let other people, you know, become cogs in this machine that we're building, Um, right? Like I trust all the people to help with the build side of things. You know, at the time I was still learning to let go of the operational side of things in terms of how do we trust uh, not just that, um, you know, everyone here can do their thing right, but how can I trust that the person uh, uh, I'm, you know, entrusting to design the system, the uh, you know operations manual, the training schedule and procedures, and the hiring process that that will spin up and, and go in a way that represents the boxer I want it to be, right? Um, and, you know, having to reinvent that everything, every time things change it, you know, what we're looking for now is very different than what we were looking for two years ago before the pandemic happened. That's fair. So I guess like in terms of like, what is currently, I guess, like the trajectory you want to take Boxer on, is it to, you know, open, um, you know, get, get a couple more stores, develop, um, you know, like more of the online presence, like what, if, you know, excluding the pandemic, where, where would you like to see the company go? Right. What, yeah. What comes next is a great question. And Fundamentally, I want I want Boxer to grow. Specifically, I want more escape rooms. I want more of the rooms we produce and the stories we tell in them to exist. Um, at our current location, we are full up on space, right? We have built out the the rooms we can, uh, where we can build them, and you know the next step on that would have been, hey, let's get more space and do this. Um, obviously. A pandemic happened and it's like, well, we'll have to figure out what comes next now. I think it is still, I, you know, my dream is let's find more space here, second location, something, um, and let's produce some more escape rooms. We have so many good ideas in our back pocket um, that 
that we would love to get out there. Um, you know, at the same time, the realistic thing is, hey, to to really make an escape room to the quality that we want uh, and to give the value that people expect, it costs a lot of money. Um, it is not a small investment in money or time or you know people and and resources. So if we can't um, do that right now with the circumstances we have, what is something smaller that we can find to do? And that's that was really where our online puzzle hunt, uh, Colby's Curious Cook-Off, came from. And you know, at the same time, we might revisit something in that form factor. We might do something, you know, in in a different form factor that's that's more physical, but you know, play at home. Um, those are really like the two non uh, build another escape room, uh, the non location based ones, if I would say that. I feel like in some ways this ties into the same kind of challenges as scaling in terms of um like i was watching some like biopic on the founding of mcdonald's and the people who started the original business had very strong concerns about making sure that the quality was good that everything was up to their standards and then the person who was interested in transforming it into more of a franchise business was like how can we operationalize this as efficiently as possible to make this a money-making machine and there is some kind of push and pull between wanting your vision of a specific type of business entity versus wanting um something to become a profit generating machine so i guess what are your thoughts on that yeah that is definitely the uh i would politely say uh you know um the the tug of war between like what what does this business have to become right obviously it's a business we need to make profits we need to be profitable that's the only way to survive but at the same time right you know for most of us this is a community it's a labor of love it's something we like doing and happen to also get paid for right it's it's a nice uh creative outlet for so many people here um, so, you know, I don't, you know, Boxer becoming, uh, you know, 40 franchises in a year and a half around the, you know, US and they're all, you know, kind of crappy, uh, like some escape room chains. I don't, I don't think that's the way for us. Right. Um, you know, we're not out to be the next McDonald's or the next, you know, uh, huge, chain of things right i think we have good solid quality and deliver a very unique experience um and i'd like to keep doing that i'd like to do that more than we currently have um you know what we have is great i think we can do more and do better and that will make us you know like from the business side more profitable and you know more durable uh and and more world-renowned so I think it's really important that when you mentioned like, you know, scaling, maintaining quality, it reminds me of like one of my, the, my favorite facts in history is um, what happened to KFC when Colonel Sanders sold it originally. So he like sold, wait, so like Colonel Sanders makes the first KFC and like the original gravy had like 26 like different spices in it. And now KFC's gravy has like four in it or something. And 
by the time that he died, he hated KFC and he would go into different KFCs and rant about how terrible it is and could try to get people to leave. So like, I kind of, it's like one of those things about like trying to grow and maintain quality is actually something that's really important. Yeah, I know yeah. in and out in and out is a business where it's not franchise. It's entirely owned mm -hmm. by in and out and Boulder's yeah. pretty consistent and coming from California. Damn, I, I like for the cost, like cost value. I think it's pretty worth it. Um, but actually, with in the Philippines, the best KFC I ever had was in the Philippines, where they had chickens just in the back, <laughs> so it was as fresh as you can possibly go. It was amazingly fresh. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, but I like you can't really do that in the United States. So you know you you but <laughs> yeah, but like I know there's one brewery in the area who was making cider where they decided to shut down because they felt like the only way for their business to continue existing in the current environment was for them to scale in a way that would decrease the quality of their product. And they didn't want to make that jump. So they decided to close down the business and end it with their values intact. And I, I can respect that. Like, it, that's a hard decision, but it's very much one I can respect. It also led me to buy up like all the remaining cider I could. <laughs> I, I mean, it's a you know definitely a way to go out. If you know the I, in the escape room, it's the uh, you know trying to marketing technique of hey, we're retiring this room at you know this time, and then suddenly it's booked out through through your closing date, and you're like, oh, I guess I could run it for a little bit longer. Um, you know, we have never at this point replaced a room. Most escape rooms in the Boston area, most of the independent ones haven't replaced rooms like that. Um, and, you know, that's kind of just part of it, uh, of, of life now. But yeah, for me anyway, the idea of wanting to, if something were to, like, when I started this, a lot of us were... You know, it's like, yep, there's, you know, there's that one guy. He's got his escape room and he's running it, you know, 24-7 and it's just him. And turns out that's a great way to maybe make a lot of money and a great way to burn yourself out. So, you know, if you want to scale it, you got to hire people to help, you know, take shifts, run other things, then you run the other parts of the business. Um, but at the same time, you can also still keep it small, right? This is a kind of a niche industry where, at least right now, you could just be a small company. You could just have the one or two locations. You could have the three to six rooms, be decently profitable, and, you know, keep that going for a while. So there is some balance where you wouldn't have to necessarily say, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I guess we better um, stop here. So what do your hours look like now versus when you started out with just the two of you? Um, well, we early on, it was, uh, you know, all the time. Um, there were definitely days. Uh, this is my favorite Boston part. You know, I would um, get to get to work uh, before 10 a.m., um, no sun is up because it's Boston in the winter. Um, I work in a basement. <laughs> There's no sunlight down there, no windows. Um, 
In fact, one of our rooms is in an old bank vault. There is definitely no sunlight there. And, uh, you know, I leave like 6, 7, 8 p.m. Even if I got out on an early day at 4 o'clock, there's no sun. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I worked basically in some ways all the time. Um, my dad definitely uh, jokingly said, look, if you're going to start a business, um, you're going to be working 60 to 80 hours a week. And that's just how it goes. So good luck. Um, and yeah, turns out he was right about that. Nowadays, it's still, um, you know, maybe 60 hours a week, uh, especially on a busy week. But, um, you know, my priorities have shifted. Um, I'm running the rooms less. I'm entrusting the people we're hiring um, to, to, to do that. And I'm focusing more on, hey, how do we sell to these groups that are looking to do special bookings? Uh, how do we, um, you know, plan a large event for this corporate client uh, that we could we could run for them? Uh, ooh, how do I get grant money to help fill some gaps because of COVID? Um, you know, the the reality of it is, I, I in many ways, I'm doing more CEO work and less of the actual running of the rooms and less of the design and the build type thing, which I was, you know, I am still really passionate about and I want to get back to. We're just not quite at the stage yet. That's fair. So I guess in the future, then would you be looking to, you know, have someone that does operations full, full time. So you could go back to being like the head of the, um, the designing the puzzles. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like, that's kind of the direction I'm hoping things head is, is, you know, training people up now to be able to manage all of the day-to-day -day operations. And I'm a bit of a weird creature. I do like doing all of it at Boxeroo. Um, you know, I love running rooms for customers because it lets me actually see, you know, the rubber hit the road. I get to see their faces and see the reactions. And that is extremely rewarding um you know it's it's like doing a live theater production where you're like actually getting to see the magic happen and getting the feedback from the audience uh that is huge to me but i also don't want to do that all the time i want to design and i want to build so you know in a certain way uh, i think the ideal situation is slowly spin up the different parts of it get people trained to run the operation side of thing and i'll get to you know we're still a small team right we don't even have 10 people right now. So I still have to help out with that. But, uh, you know, we'll get people to deal with that. Maybe somebody will come along who's, you know, got a huge interest in the business side of things and bookkeeping or something. I don't know. Um, and that can become a part of that. And then suddenly it's like, oh, now I can check in on that, but I can still focus on the design and product development side of things that, you know, has been stagnant for a while. Yeah, that honestly, from the stories I've heard and read, that isn't necessarily uncommon. Like there are plenty of companies where the founders eventually end up hiring a CEO and then they just focus on what they are most passionate about. So it's, but, and some of those companies are doing quite well, but it's by no means like, there, there are plenty, there are a lot more paths in making a business run than I think are like commonly 
told or and honestly a lot of this is just like not well known at all <laughs> uh no definitely not and like i've you know tried reading uh I will tell you, my number one frustration is the number of times I've tried to find a book on how to run or grow a business, and uh, every single one I've picked up focuses on a tech-based startup. And let me tell you what Boxer oh, no. is not. Um, but you have the magic, you said, all the special effects. Yes. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it turns out, right, like, just because we have tech uh, it doesn't mean we're a startup either. And we're not trying to act like one. So it's, you know, the that whole mindset annoys me so much because it's it in many ways pollutes things. It's like, no, I would just like to know how to run and grow my, you know, small to medium sized business. Where are the books on this? Right. Um, and it's uh that has been a struggle. If if anyone has any good books out there, I would love to hear them. So uh, we we aren't sponsored by them. Uh, no sponsorship at all. That's fair. But um, what not I found, at, well, not not yet, not yet. Except masterclass will never. <laughs> oh no! Last episode. Last episode. Last episode. So um, what I've actually found really valuable because I've been I've been trying not succeeding, but trying to start my own business this past year. Um, but what I've found really helpful is our communities of other small business owners and entrepreneurs. So there is one that I'm part of called Trends, where, like, honestly, the newsletter is fine, but what's a lot more valuable is the community where you can, there's a lot of events, you can talk to a lot of people about any level of specific question. Like, we have people talking about, like, um, M&A, like, like mergers and acquisitions at a small scale. We have people talking about like just their landing pages, doing marketing for like very, very small companies. It, and there's a wide variety of people in the group. So it's really easy to find the information you have to, fi to find that, that, that you want found. Um, and I've always been able to get my questions answered. So again, this is not sponsored at all. It's just I've had a positive experience with them, and I found that a community can be a lot more valuable than a book because you can have an ongoing conversation and ask questions, which you can't really ask a book questions, or you can, but the book is just going to be a book. <laughs> yeah, so that's my experience. Turns out. Uh, and, and to that end, I will say the escape room community um and specifically the owner community is fantastic um like there is a huge you know it's funny because you think oh most businesses in the same you know industry right if you got two coffee shops surely they're competing right but here's the thing people can only do an escape room once um unless you're that guy who's going to bring multiple different dates to the same room which we have had and i'm you know, if you ask any escape room owner, they will probably tell you the same story. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, you know, we do kind of all have to work together. And there's a sense of if, in this, you know, if all escape rooms are good quality, more people want to come do them. And they will do, you know, your three rooms, go down the street and do their four rooms and, and keep going. So, uh, and then spread the word to their friends about what to do. So, you know. 
And most uh, most owners, especially like New England area is great. There's a ton of independent owners here. And, you know, we've got our Facebook group and we chat and, and talk and go around and visit each other. Before the pandemic, we would do meetups and, you know, there'd be like 40 of us there. Um, and, you know, it's fun. It's, it's great seeing these like-minded people. At the same time, a lot of us are also like, yeah, how the heck do we grow this business? And so it's like... You know, it would be nice to to learn from from the the wisdom of others who have experience doing other things. You know, um, and there's always that. You know, oh, if I if I could just figure out how to make this business work, then I would do it. And you know, maybe you wouldn't necessarily share that. That's always my feeling. Is like, yeah, we're all friendly and we will you know talk shop and stuff. But if if we had some deep secret to you know the success of business probably we would just keep that to ourselves or write a book. I don't know. Well, so one thing I have found is that of, for trade secrets, oh yeah, no one's going to tell you shit. Um, but for general, like for, I guess, intro level knowledge, like non-trade specific knowledge, but just how to be broadly successful, which there's uh, so much fucking shit to learn for that. I, I found that people are pretty open about that because building that relationship of being someone who is helpful, who can give advice, who is, who is reliable to turn to that reputation is much more valuable than the information you gave away. So that's at least what I've found from the people I've tried to get answers from. I mean, I think that's fairly accurate. Like, you know, what was it? Our third? Ep when did we interview Jared? Was that our second or second episode? Mm -hmm. Right. So in the beginning of the pandemic, Jared. Yeah. Is, um, so Jared Sotin is our friend who is a um, bar, who is a bartender, now a bar consultant um, at the Craigie on Main. He, um, uh, through um, uh, Patron, there was a um, class is called uh, Academy Patron, and he did uh, spreadsheets for bars. And he covered how to do that in the beginning of the pandemic for bars that were struggling. So I definitely could definitely see what you're saying, where there's definitely a, people are very willing to spread that uh, that base knowledge that everyone needs to be successful. No, for sure. And I, you know, there's a, it's, you know, I, I do remember that episode and I remember, um, you know, actually taking the, uh, how to make drinks class from Jared through during college. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, and, you know, there's a certain sense of when other owners come to visit, it's like, Hey, you played the room. Do you want to see the behind the scenes? And, you know, we get to talk shop, you know, and there's a certain, again, level of, you know, a rising tide will lift all boats. Right. Um, if, you know, we're talking tech and it's like, Oh, we're using this. And someone's like, Oh, we use Arduino. It's like, Oh Yeah we had the problem where that kept burning out and they're like, Oh, well, what would you recommend instead? And it's like, look into stuff like this. You know, we're not giving away our trade secrets. We're not, we're not sharing our code with anyone, but uh, you know, the idea of, Hey, this is the tool you'll probably want to use. Um, you know, it's, it's been pretty helpful. I think it also, you know, and since you also took like the bartending class under Jared, I think, you know, one commonality we all have is it's that MIT spirit. Like, Yes, you know, when you're at the top of your field and you're doing maybe like publications, you know, you're not going to like necessarily give away like what gives you the edge, but you also want to be the best of the best, right? So you want to bring up people around you and be collaborative as much as you can. 
Oh, for sure. There's so much more to be gained by being collaborative than there is by being competitive necessarily, right? Um, and ultimately, it's like, I I really feel, especially in escape rooms where, you know, you, you are limited on the number of times a customer is coming back, right? You know, you are going to have to play nice with people and it really helps you to, to be, you know, have good networking and to be, you know, a positive experience, right? If I, you know, liked someone's escape room, I will recommend it to them because I think they will enjoy it, right? Um, and, you know, if, so if it's a bad escape room experience, you don't want to send them there because then they might be like, hey, escape rooms aren't great. So, uh, you know, it's, it is a very tight-knit spirit. So touching on that, um, so what I'm thinking right now is that in some ways, an escape room is like a hybrid. No, follow me with this. It's a hybrid <laughs> between like a bar and a washing machine in that it is cultivating an experience, but it's not like you buy a wash, like you don't buy a washing machine every single day or every single week. You buy a washing machine until it's time to get a new one. So how, how do you deal, how, how do you make that kind of industry work? Like how, how frequently, how do you decide when to make a new washing machine? <laughs> so to say, make a new escape room. No, I mean, that's, that's a great question. And the simple answer is, you know, when we started out, it was like, oh, how, you know, big question is, how long do we run these rooms for? And because, you know, in my experience, this industry, at least in the United States, is less than a decade old, right? The answer is nobody knows. Um, you know, at the, at the, when I started the common wisdom, it was like, oh, you're going to get one, maybe two years out of it. I, we've had the magician study uh, for five years now, um, and I don't think it's in danger of going away. The simple answer is it depends, right? Turns out Boston is great because it's a huge metropolitan area. It has a lot of college kids, which is a transient population that's going to come and go. So cheers to that. Um, you know, and like we, you know, try to, we try to bring a lot of college kids in. It's like, hey, MIT people, we have the puzzle heavy room that's going to tax your minds. And, uh, and they still stomp it anyway. Um, that's how it goes. Um, you know, we've got more artistically inclined ones. It's like, hey, you know, uh, Emerson and Suffolk kids come in and, and experience this room. And it's, you know, they're also literally right on our doorstep in this case. Uh, yeah, just down the block from us, there's a new uh, Suffolk University dorm. So whenever things return to normal and there's college kids right there, I sure hope we get a lot of them coming over to do the escape room. Um, so, yeah, like personally, I don't know when we're going to replace these rooms. And that's why I know the next step is, hey, we have to go find more space and produce more experiences because all of our fans who played all three and love them have to come back and do more. And they keep asking us, when is more stuff going to come out? So, so you've maintained, I'm actually, I'm kind of surprised in a positive way that you've been able to keep the same room for five years. Yeah. Like that is not something that I would have expected. And that's awesome. Has from a business side, has the finances been like roughly the same throughout or has it like, how does that work? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny. When we had one room, we were not making enough money to cover things. Um, when we had two rooms, we were not making enough money to cover things. Uh, but it was like about, it, it, it was more than one room, but not quite double. Um, and then we opened our third room and things took off. Um, it, it wasn't just like doubled. It was more than that. People loved it. People, we had a huge explosion of stuff. Um, and that was September, 2019. So not even six months oh, later. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We opened Storyteller's Secret, which was a phenomenal room. Well, is a phenomenal room. Um, and will be again. Um, and it's, uh, it's, um, yeah, we got a huge ton of recognition. Um, we kept getting more people coming out. Business was picking up, um, you know, and then COVID happened and, uh, here we are. So I was going to say, um, you know, in terms of like it growing, is there also, I just wonder, is there like initial spike when you open like a new room? Is there kind of like a grand opening or like, is there like a lot of it got a lot of excitement? I'm just Your mailing curious. list. Mailing list. <laughs> oh, so maybe we kind of do this wrong. We tend to do like the soft open where it's like, yeah, we're, th there's a new, you just look at our website and suddenly there's this new room you can book. No grand announcement. And it turns out, yeah, we have a lot of kinks to work out. So we are just, you know, book the room, come and do it. It's open limited times per week because we need to spend, you know, four days a week fixing it and, and improving on it. Um, you know, in, in little ways, nothing like hugely shifting. So, you know, those people who played first still are getting the full experience, just uh, maybe without uh, all the bells and whistles or, if that thing breaks, we're really sorry. Um, but you know, we fix it after that. Uh, and then we do the grand, you know, opening announcement. Um, we tend to get a little bit of a spike, like maybe when that happens, you know, send out to the mailing list announcing the thing. Um, I would say that the, the biggest recognition is like after the, the biggest bump is after some sort of recognition. So a review comes out, that's, you know, they're usually pretty glowing and, we always appreciate that. Um, a you know award thing happens, and and we place well with that. Those go a long way. Um, yeah, really. The weird thing is, since reopening for you know March of this year was when escape rooms finally got the green light to reopen uh, in Boston. Um, since we've been able to do that, people have just kept coming. We haven't had to do anything and people just keep coming um everyone cannot wait to get out and do anything it turns out that is like a business owner's dream to like have to do no marketing and just everyone come inbound because the demand is so high but also like i can completely understand because a year inside like i want to escape this room <laughs> so that i can escape a different room yeah i know that completely makes sense to me <laughs> i was also gonna say i wonder if there's just like the popularity not just or not just popularity but also the exposure of escape rooms are increasing because i know um for example my girlfriend and i one of the shows we really like is Shit's creek and one of the characters <laughs> and that's like a super popular show on netflix and patrick and the show loves escape rooms like that's like yep. and then um 
the magician I I follow, and I know you, uh, Chris Ramsey, like he has done virtual escape the room. So I just wonder yeah. if it's exploding in popularity now. It's it you know it's uh, starting out again. It was the terrible thing of like oh I don't just have to like get the people. I don't have to just advertise to people to say hey come do my thing. I also have to explain to everyone this is what an escape room is and this is why you want to do it, right? You know, it, um, and I still think like maybe the number of people in the U.S. who know what an escape room is, uh, what maybe ten percent and not many of them have like maybe half of that has done it something in you know something in that ratio where it's like yeah there's no huge saturation yet uh even on what the concept of an escape room is so um i do appreciate that it's starting to really enter pop culture and the the awareness of what an escape room is is getting out there um so definitely you know honestly that is probably part of it maybe right around the time we were opening that third room it was starting to pick up uh, I remember there was that, uh, you know, Good Place episode uh, that uh, aired right around then. It's like things kept going up from there. Who knows? Uh, I know after Queen's Gambit came out, uh, Chess.com, Light Chess, a lot of these chess websites just got a huge sudden influx of new players. So it's wild to see how many factors outside of business owners' control can just massively change the, the both the demand and the awareness that of different opportunities. Like the mainstreaming, the mainstreaming of different things like escape rooms means that these businesses, which once were niche, are now like well no our our mainstream so it, it's <laughs> like i imagine it's great for you but at the same time it's not at all within your control so how like how do you feel about like previous experiences trying to market your business versus now just it's just coming <laughs> You know, in many ways, I actually, I well, I think I definitely prefer it now. Uh, and I'm not just saying that from the Rosie perspective of, oh, we're just open again and I'm happy so many people are coming out. Um, you know, I think it, it really saying a lot that people are coming out in kind of droves, you know, like we have been booking out more slots than ever before, um, even in our, our best months before. Um, and, you know, the... I think it's also getting to the point now where escape rooms aren't, you know, because also when it started, you had people comparing it to Saw or horror movies um, related to that. You know, maybe it's okay that uh, uh, Escape Room, the movie, came out um, and now we're getting Escape Room 2, whatever the subtitle is. Um, Tournament of Champions, that's what it is. Um, and so, you know, it's like, okay, it's starting to get a little more mainstream, but we're also getting away from the, the horror death aspect because, you know, that would be bad and bad things have happened with escape rooms before um oh god january we, yeah there was uh, you know start of one year there was uh you know the biggest escape room news was there was a fire in an escape room in poland that killed five teenagers okay. um yeah so it's you know this is one of those industries where actually yeah things could you could have bad news and bad publicity and you know we had a few people calling asking like hey is this safe and we get to be like we're safe because we don't lock you in 
And, you know, the subtext there is because we talked to the fire department and they told us not to. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's and and again, this ties back to the, hey, work with, you know, the inspectional services. Make sure you, you know, are pulling your permits and getting approved for this stuff because it's important. Right. Safety is paramount to this. So, you know, I'm glad we're at today where people are just coming. People are looking to have a good time. We're not battling any of that negative stigma from before and not having to educate as many people about this is what an escape room is. So, you know, I'm glad like business wise, we are where we are. Um, obviously, I wish we could have skipped the whole pandemic thing to get here. But yeah, yeah. It's interesting the two, like how having to de deal with that negative or that negative stigma dissipating. Cause I, it also reminds me of like, it's like, I'm, I meet, I like playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons and like, you know, back in the seventies, it was, you know, this is satanic. The, yeah. And now it's like, you, you see it on stranger things and now you have uh popular people play, playing it are celebrities. Also like I play like magic too. And you have like, NFL players playing it. Post Malone plays Post magic. Malone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. Just off screen from here is all of the magic decks that I haven't cleaned up, by the way. So, oh, um, is it Commander? Is it? Is it? A uh, ooh, lots of Commander, some Canadian Highlander, some packs of Jumpstart. Um, it's kind of a mess. Yeah. So as someone who doesn't play magic, none of these terms mean anything to me. <laughs> and having been explained these terms by Tyler before, I think we're not going to explain them right now no, because no, 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 of no. How, how in detail they are. But magic card game, and these are all different ways of playing the card game. Is that generally the case? Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I would say it's like most people have like regular playing, like 52 playing cards. The different things we're describing is like you can play solitaire, you can play poker, you can play rummy, you know, just diff same cards, but different uh, formats. That's a good way to explain it. The other one would be it's like, you know, if your baseball trading cards could also be used in a game, right? You're collecting these and you can do things with them. So, um, yeah. yeah uh, speaking of that, I, I know that they can sell for a shit ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> uh yes uh that that is look the important takeaway here is it's very important to have hobbies outside of your work and things you're interested in um you know especially when you're going to be trapped in a room for over a year uh that is not the one you want to escape from <laughs> directly on those lines of the other hobbies outside of your business like what kind of life do you live what kind of like, because I know early on, your entire life was this business, but now that you have a bit more flexibility, what <laughs> is your day-to-day -day like outside of work? Yeah, um, you know, it's definitely been kind of nice being my own boss in a sense of like, yeah, we have these set hours, but otherwise I'm not having to, you know, show up or punch a clock. I do have the flexibility to decide what I'm doing here. So, you know, I get to you know, wake up when I need to wake up, um, you know, make a nice breakfast for, for myself and my partner. And, you know, we get to go about the rest of our day. I'll go into the office sometimes to, you know, work on other stuff, uh, to run rooms. Um, you know, sometimes I'll work from home doing, you know, spreadsheets and bookkeeping, responding to sales emails, or just in this case, working around the house. Um, you know, we, uh, recently moved, um, into this place and it, needs a lot of work so yeah 
I was going to say, is the, the, did you buy them? You know, like, cause you know, usually if the place needs work and you're renting, you're like, well, the landlord could do that. But I assume you bought if you're talking about doing it yourself. Yes. We recently, we, earlier this year, we uh, bought a house and moved in hilariously the day we closed on this house. Um, we, you know, close at like, say 11.30 in the morning, uh, 11.35, I get an email from the uh, building inspector being like, hey, we haven't been by in a while. We need to inspect your place for business. You know, and that was oh, about no. a week before we were uh, allowed to reopen. So I was like, hmm, oh boy, work and life are about to pick up at the same time. Yeah, I, I remember when I first moved here, and the washing machine was very old. It was so old that we didn't know where the water went. Uh, we thought the water was just going straight into the gutter, but it didn't. So the first time we washed our washing machine, our basement was flooded. <laughs> and it didn't have, um, how you would say, yep. a vent <laughs> or any way of getting <laughs> So we went to Home Depot, bought a shop vat, and oh. then slowly like, like vacuumed it up, poured it outside, vacuumed it up. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that was a yep. time. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot that it's, you don't necessarily realize. Yeah. Yeah. And no, you didn't keep I mean, that washer? Like, you know, you didn't want to repeat over and over again? No, just just the once, right? It's like an escape room. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it, you know, it's funny. We literally had a plumber in earlier today for washing machine-related issues. And so it's like, oh, yeah, huh. In many ways, there's like a certain overlap where it's like, yeah, I've had to, like, paint and finish stuff and you know i'm getting to do some of that here for boxeroo uh, or sorry skills from boxer transfer into real life and also dealing with contractors which was something i picked up on the job uh having to do that a lot for your own home uh sure sure makes a difference yeah i'm thankful like well so like i mentioned my dad was slash his electrician he now flips yeah. houses so i'm also familiar familiar from um, familiar from talking to him, like dealing with contractors. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, it turns out there's a skill to it. It's, it's a learned skill, you know, it's, you're not going to learn that in school or anything. You, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I will say, I, I wish I remembered the name of the business because I liked it so much that I, this is another one that I would hype without any, like, advertisement but you should get them to sponsor us <laughs> but like i i had gutter cleaning done like a few weeks ago mm. and that was the most pain-free experience i've ever had i just told them they showed up knocked my door said hey i'm gonna do it and then like 20 minutes later they're like hey i did it give them the money and bye and that was just there was no upselling it was just like very affordable done and really pleasant and, and that is not always the case uh if mm. if you have worked with contractors before it is very rarely the case that goes that easily and you, you're nodding your head what has been some of your experiences uh you know i mean like in in well in house related stuff it's simply been like oh 
I, you know, having to call extra times to, to figure out when things are actually scheduled for, right? Like, oh yeah, someone will be by next week. It's like, well, hang on. <laughs> a week is a long time, right? That's five whole days and I have stuff to do. So, um, you know, it's even worse than cable sometimes. Um, but like for, you know, the escape room side of things, it's, uh, big, you know, there's so many annoying factors, um, especially in our case where, oh, yeah, we have to hire them to do it. And, but they, you know, contracting company has to submit plans and get approval from, you know, fire department, building and inspectional services. Um, we're, you know, talking huge chunks of money here. And it's like, yeah, but hang on. Your contract says you would do this. And yet you're telling me you haven't actually gotten approval yet. And even then, it still has to pass inspection. And you want me to pay what? Um, so, you know, we, we get stuck in weird loops like that where they're like well you know we've done the work we need to be paid and it's like well yeah but you haven't passed inspection so your work doesn't mean anything yet uh and you know and of course the city of boston doesn't answer to anyone so you know it's uh it, it's a weird triangle they answer to themselves i well i wouldn't even go that far um <laughs> oh, so. that's very very fair I was going to say, if they answer to themselves, the green line wouldn't have been crashing over and over again. For those who don't know, the green line is one of the subways in Boston. It's and... the worst subway next to the silver line. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, you ask, is the green line on fire? And the website just says, probably. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh... God, yeah, uh, right. The two the two reasons we get people late the most um, are they can't find parking and my train got stuck, right? And then third behind that is my Uber driver's dumb. So you know, take that as you will. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fun t it's a fun city to be in. Well, and I thought you enjoyed Boston. I thought like Boston was a great home. <laughs> well, so like fundamentally, I'm ragging on them, but you know. We do, you know, we are working with the city and I think yeah, they yeah. are doing important things, right? Like this is a, an acceptable level of bureaucracy in my mind, right? You know, it's like strictly speaking, serving an important function, especially you look elsewhere, disasters have happened. And, you know, you know, the corners, some companies cut in certain places, right? You're like, well, hang on, you know, um, it sucks to feel like, hey, I jumped through all the right hoops. Um, and had to open six months later than you did, and you, you know, just did, you know, whatever. Um, but there's a certain degree of like, hey, if there's a crackdown happening, we did all the right things, and we're not going to get busted for it. So, yeah, I think there's a difficult push and pull between like you want to make sure that there are systems in place to make sure things are safe, but you also want to make sure there's not so much over the top bureaucracy that nothing can happen without paying tons of money to pass all the inspections and stuff like that. So yeah, it's yeah. definitely a hard juggling act. And I don't envy anyone who has to try and balance that from a legislative <laughs> perspective, because yeah. no matter what, you don't make people upset. Um, I mean, but I, there's a certain degree of the answer is just hire more people to do it. Right. And obviously that's going to be, you know, challenging because you know this is the worst job of you have to be like you know 
uh, a narc or an inspector or whatever you want to call it. And then, you know, you also have to work for the government. That's probably the two most hated parts of a job, right? Um, but, you know, they serve a hugely important function, right, in, in keeping shady or dangerous businesses from existing. So, you know, I... I respect what they do, you know, and especially, you know, I think we're super lucky. The inspector who is in our region also like plays escape rooms. Um, and so no, that's awesome. You know, he shows up at our places like, Oh, Oh, I know what this is. I know what you're doing. (laughs) I need you to do these things. Um, and you know, that's always been like pretty, uh, you know, um, and like, honestly, that's good. At least we have someone who understands this and isn't going say like, I'm sorry, you want to do what? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you know, I, you know, hear many business owners talking about how much they hate having to do this stuff. You know, I hate certain parts of it, but fundamentally, I appreciate that the system is there. Um, T- touching on that, though, like, how much of the relationships that you've built do you attribute to your own success in this space? Hmm. I mean, to a certain degree, it has to be all of them, right? Like every, you know, aspect of working with customers to, you know, make, you know, reaching out to customers to having, making sure they're having the best time possible to working with the contractors and, you know, the connections there, like having to call back the architect to be like, hey, we now have to get this other permit process work. You know, you were great last time. Can you, can you help us out here? Um, you know, there's a certain degree of it's like, you know, we're not trying to burn any bridges with anything here because we're in it for the long haul. It's, uh, how can we make sure everyone has the best experience? Right. Um, I, yeah, I think it's not just like boxer isn't just a transactional company. It is really experiential. And to a certain degree, that means it's based on the relationship between, you know, customer, client, contractor, and us. And I feel like, you know, since you're you're taking it from this long-term perspective, like it has to, it gets easier also with time, right? Once you have, you know, like you just said, we use this architect previously. So now you don't have to like hunt through the list of all the architects and know who's going to be sketchy. You know, you have someone to rely on. And if they're not in the industry or they're busy, they're going to refer you to someone else. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's definitely part of it. So, so it's to, to go in a slightly different direction, something I'm curious about, and, and a common question we've asked all of our past guests is what have been the highs, like yeah. the highest high, lowest low of your time working in escape rooms? It might not be a different yeah. direction. The low might be dealing with, <laughs> dealing with the city. <laughs> well, no, I, you know, um, very early on when I joined, uh, some some things were not in order permit-wise, and we were shut down for a period of time. That was pretty low. Technically, the lowest low would have been, uh, a, I had a very fond memory of a day when we needed a third-party contractor, not the one we had you know hired to do some fire alarm work, but a third party that they had to interact with was coming in and just it was a god awful shit show. That person arrived late. Our contact at the 
uh, fire alarm company had already left because he was like, well, they're late. We can't do the thing. And it's like, I'm sure he's going to be here. And he noped out. Um, and that was like my third day that week having to be in before 7 a.m. and out after like 10 p.m. So I was completely ragged. Um, I'd brutal. say that is probably the lowest point for me. It was like, and you're telling me the work can't get done. And I have, you know, the person in front of me and the other party bickering over the phone. And it's like, can somebody just just do their job? Um and I'm powerless to do it because, you know, I'm not a licensed contractor. I can't, you know, somebody else has to do it, right? Um, you know, on the other hand, the highest high, right, like the moments where we get to open the third room and we have people doing it, um, having, I think actually one of my favorite times of year is uh, the weekend of the MIT mystery hunt when so many puzzle enthusiasts are coming in and we book out a lot of rooms that, you know, the Friday before and the, the, at the end of the weekend afterwards. Um, and these are all people who love puzzles, have done hundreds of escape rooms. They always beat our records for whatever the room is, but they still take time to say how fantastic they loved all of it. Um, that, you know, the reward and the feedback from that is probably some of the most heartfelt. So, yeah, and, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it, it, it's a testament to what you're saying earlier, like, you know, what you want to be that sets you apart from other escape rooms is the quality, you know, you're leaning into the special effects, leaning and all that. Yeah, no, I think getting the feedback that people love that really makes it all worth it. Would you say that is what you primarily are doing this for to get to create these experiences and get that like positive feedback like yes this experience you made for me was amazing yeah i mean i think that's kind of why i wanted to get into it i wanted to make cool things and have people enjoy them um now it's you know that's how it started it's it's still i want that but now it's also the subtext of i want this business to exist and like keep supporting the employees who are here and you know make money to grow but also like build a good business side to the community. It's the difference between, yeah, I wanted to start being an engineer and building things and making things. And now I kind of have to be a CEO and I want to build the company. So, so your motivation has uh, like kind of changed with the needs of the company then. Yeah, I would definitely say so. So one, one thing that I definitely knew for myself and I wasn't alone in this is Back in college, I was very much in the, if you build it, I think I mentioned exactly this line last time. If you build it right, they'll just come. You just build a good product and the people will come. And I, I discounted any like business perspective because it, it seemed uh, not grounded in what was important. Um, so... As someone who has worn both hats, how would you communicate to your past self the importance of what you're doing now? <sighs> I mean, I have been on both sides of that fence where it's like, oh, let's just let's just do it. Let's, you know, spend the extra money, spend the extra time, just just make it awesome and people will love it. Um, and at the same time, it's like, 
hey, we need to get this open and we need to get it done now. Just put the things down, call it good. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect um, and and just get it out the door. And then also the third head of, oh, crap, I've made this thing. Now I have to get people in the door. Oh, and I have to brag about it and sell it and actually talk myself up. Um, I am not a natural born salesman. Uh, and so it's having to learn how to do that has been a, a fun part of this experience. But, you know, fundamentally, um, if I, yeah, essentially, if I were to go back and tell myself, it's like, hey, you know, have a perhaps brag a bit more about it and, and, you know, actually try and sell it a bit, right? Like, that's been the hardest part for me. You're going to have to sell, you know, sell rooms. That's just kind of the natural, um, I'd say the natural um, personality of engineers. Engineers tend to be on the more humble side. I think, you know, that's kind of why I like, I mean, I've in undergrad, there was definitely back before I appreciated the business side of it. Certain project would be like, oh, we're getting people from the business school at MIT on this project. And, uh, and I'd just be like, and what are they going to contribute? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think without the experience, it's hard to get a full appreciation of what really goes into making a self-sustaining entity. Like, it, it's not easy building a product, building an experience. Build, it's, not, it's not easy building something per se, but it's also not easy making it so that that can that thing can continue to exist. Yeah, it can be provided to more than one person, <laughs> uh, and everything that goes into making it so that this can actually continue, which oftentimes means more people, which means you need yeah. to pay these people, which means it needs to bring in money to be able to pay these people. Right, like it's it's <laughs> almost an inevitable consequence that there needs to be some business understanding in order to make the product dreams yeah. sustainable and scalable. You know, there's a certain degree of it's um, like, you have to have somebody who is going to do like sort of the grunt labor. And then you have to have someone who's going to do even more of the work. Um, and there might be a dog barking outside and I apologize if that's coming through. Right. I, somebody explained this, um, as actually, so one resource I did find useful was uh, the uh, SCORE is a program for executives um, who give advice to other business people. Um, and there happens to be one in Boston. I went to a couple of times, you know, in the before times when you could actually meet in person with people. Um, and, you know, he, he explained it as there's like 15 an hour jobs, 15 hour jobs, and 150 hour per hour jobs. And you have to hire the people to do the lower stuff so you can do the higher stuff, right? Um, and that's one way to grow the business. Um, and it's kind of learning that and then actually trying to apply it, two completely different things, but you know, has been a little bit more instrumental in how do we raise this to the next level of a business, not just a product or an escape room experience. Then I guess just one final question to kind of wrap things up. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for people who might have heard of escape rooms but had never considered making their own, mm 
what kind of advice would you give to them to start this as a business that they can continue doing? Um, if you want to do this as a business, uh, definitely think about it. Lots of us people who want to do escape rooms are like, I've played a bunch and I think I can make one, or I have a really great idea for one. And that's great. I'm sure you have a great idea for one room. How is one room going to pay for the rent that you need for that space to do it? How is it going to pay for the supplies you had to buy to set it up? How is it going to pay the sell, you know, the wages for somebody to run it when you want to take a day off, right? And, you know, that's the the business side of thinking about it. Um, if you've got one great idea, do you have two? Do you have four? Who's going to build it for you? Are you going to do everything? Um, you know, it's think about the entire picture, not just the product, right? Um, you know, I was focused on building the room at first and, you know, Victor was focusing on like not just programming it, but then also later, how do we make the best booking site um, for our webpage, which is also entirely proprietary. We haven't sold out to another, uh, you know, one of the any standard number of e-commerce platforms like that. So um, that's actually pretty cool too. It's really interesting that, um, you know, compared to a lot of other people we've interviewed, you know, Sean my, was my dance, was a dance, my dance teacher, Jared being a bartender, those are all very low capital initial um, passions you're going to start up. And so it's, I think it's really important that you, what you were saying there is that when you're going to pursue a passion that's such a high initial capital investment, you really do have to consider the entire picture and getting that revenue stream. Whereas if you're taking a, uh, your passion is much lower um, capital uh, a much lower um, capital investment in the beginning, you can more just jump into it doing the creative side of it. And there's also sort of the long-termness of this, right? Like, you know, we had to rent a, you know, we've been in the place for six years that we started out leasing. Um, you know, if you're going to build an escape room, you want that thing to last as long as possible, right? I assume if you are, you know, working as a bartender, you could move to a different bar. It's pretty hard for me to move this escape room to that space without a lot more cost, right? So, you know, in some ways it's like, well, I have this idea for the product. I also have to build the entire business around it. So definitely think more holistically than just what, you know, what do I want customers to feel in the room? That's not to say ignore that because that is hugely important, but if you want to get started, there's more than that. And second, reach out to the community of, of business owners. There's some hugely awesome things, uh, you know, awesome people. There's a convention coming up later this month uh, online um, by, you know, uh, uh, room escape artists, um, a review blog and just champions of the escape room industry in general. So there are huge resources to learn so much more about how to do escape rooms uh, than when I was starting out. So learn from people who have been there before you. Great. That's awesome. Um, thank you very much. Before we let you go, do you want to just mention what your website is, any socials, any, any information you want to say to market yourself? 
Absolutely. Um, so we're Boxeroo. Uh, I like to say we're Boston's best escape room. Um, our website is boxeroo.me. Um, and uh, we also have an online puzzle hunt called Colby's Curious Cookoff at curiouscookoff.com. Um, yeah. And so you can check us out there or on Facebook at Boxeroo Boston. And I guess one quick question for those who do follow up on this. Uh, is there a recommended order for the escape the rooms? Ooh. Um, you, I would say it is either chronologically, which is mystery of the magician study, conundrum museum, storyteller secrets, or um, immersiveness increasing, which would be conundrum museum first, magician study second, and the storyteller secret third. Thanks. Yeah. Um. Great. Thanks. Uh, hopefully, a lot more. I mean, you're already pretty booked. Hopefully, plenty more people will come your way. And um, because I like, I would agree that I think Botsru <laughs> is definitely the best in Boston. So, best of luck for your future. And was wonderful talking to you. It was wonderful talking to the both of you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Yeah. Have a good night. Take care. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd really appreciate it if you leave us a comment. Or gave us a personal loan. Or maybe just a coupon for now. I did take after my dad in that way.